We're going to be grateful. Let's thank God. Dear Lord, we're very thankful for your richness that we can pursue things day to day, week to week, in each other's lives, sharing with each other, exhorting one another. We have so much to learn, so much to attend to. We'd ask that you bring us to that point this morning. In your son's name, amen. Well, as you can tell from the sermon notes, we are in Micah chapter 2. It was just an accident, Micah, wherever Micah is. It was, not mere, it was not that I was filled with the Holy Spirit and said, let's name it after Mr. Kramer. Um, it's, it's a known passage. It's one that has some good verses in it that you'll recognize when we get to them. But as I looked through it, certain things sprang to mind. Uh, mostly because we're all walking around with phones and laptops and tablets and we have far more interaction with our whole world than any generation has ever had before. And we as Christians obviously see incredible uh, rebellion against the things of God all over the world for all sorts of reasons. But as I looked at it, I, I, part of the, the task in, a, in the believing body is what do, how do Christians live regarding the wickedness of the world? How do we, what are we supposed to be about? And as I was looking at this passage, some things came to mind. You can, you can consider them and think, see whether or not you think they're valid. But at least think about them. Verse 1, it says, Woe to those who devise wickedness and work evil upon their beds. When the morning dawns, they perform it because it is in the power of their hand. They covet fields and seize them and houses and take them away. They oppress a man in his house, a man and in his inheritance. Oh, you just say, well, okay, now we're cooking with gas. This is, this is America. This is how it is. The man taking stuff away from Joe Everyman with his house and his field and some corporate farm spraying Monsanto over everything. Is that what it is? Roundup. Or just using, remember that was in, was it Connecticut or where um, they used that um, where the city can take your property or something like that? Kelso versus New London. <laughs> From Connecticut. Uh, the Kelso case where they, they didn't take this person's property for a freeway, they took it for a private business advancement in the area to benefit some rich guy. The rich. Woe to those who divide. It seems like they're lying in their beds thinking of how they're going to take us out. How they're going to take 
more from you and you feel like you're, you're part of this group of fools sitting in front of their TVs watching as lying commercials and you know they're lying, right? You might not be able to spot where they're lying but you know you're falling for the lie even though you know they're lying because they mentioned wrinkles and a cream and it's the answer. And so you believe them. They're taking advantage of us. This is the state of the world. Now, although some people go, this is so like, they read a part of the scripture, they go, it's so like America today. Look, it's ever since man decided to quit being the Unabomber all by himself, not hanging out with anybody, as soon as a society was formed, people have a different idea of how they're going to get ahead in that society. And man, we believe as Christians, they're basically wicked. And so they're going to be thinking of, it's the opportunity. Society, ever since it was created, has been opportunity for wickedness. And that's why society isn't just relying on everybody's, in some libertarians, and I, I know there are some libertarians here, and I do not want to talk to you afterwards. I'm sure you'll understand this. Leave me alone. If you're a libertarian, leave me alone. But, and God bless you. But if uh, we didn't have things like manners and laws and standards and cultures developing in that society to constrain people, the Ors and I were talking yesterday about it and, and how we're kind of grateful that some form of Anglo-Saxon culture is constraining the wickedness that's around us. Politeness. What would it be like if nobody felt constrained by anything? But the, still, the wickedness is out there. We're still dealing with it. We're still looking at it. We're still concerned. And the Christian church often spends a lot of its time preaching about the state of the age. One of my favorite verses I have here on the side out of Ecclesiastes 7, God made man upright, but they have sought out many devices. That's sort of a different than a, uh, you might say, you were born wicked. No, I said, You're, you were just fine until you went looking for hobbies, and the hobbies you found were sin. Men devise wickedness. The concern that we have is not that we doubt however we're going to structure the mechanism of man's devising of wickedness. But once they devise wickedness, our natural thought is to want to do something about it. It doesn't actually tell us, right there, it says, men devise wickedness and they, they cheat you and they take your stuff. Whether it's officially or unofficially. Look what it says in verse 3. Therefore, thus says the Lord, Behold, against this family I am devising evil, from which you cannot remove your necks, and you shall not walk haughtily, for it will be an evil time. In that day they shall take up a taunt song against you, and wail with bitter lamentation, and say, We are utterly ruined. He changes the portion of my people, how he removes it from me. Among our captors, he divides our fields. Therefore, you will have none to cast the line by lot 
in the assembly of the Lord. Ooh, that's kind of tasty. You kind of like that thought, don't you? You like the judgment of God. Wouldn't it be great? I mean, I don't know how many times. I know some of you are from San Francisco. Peter, Tristan, anybody else from San Francisco? Look, the rest of the Christian world wants that to drop into the Pacific. Okay? They're waiting for the, whatever fault line that goes to the east of that to just crack them. And we're willing to sacrifice. We're not willing to go in like Abraham at the Oaks of Mamre and say, Lord, if there are ten righteous, could we know there are ten righteous in San Francisco? And God would preserve the city for ten righteous. But I have talked to a lot of Christians. My sister lives in L.A. I want L.A. gone. She's going to heaven. I mean, it's not really a problem. I don't know if the water would get as high as Anaheim. Not Anaheim. Where is she? Altadena? Don't tell her I'll preach for her destruction. We like this thought. We look at that. Oh, yeah. God is devising an evil. You can't remove your next. Not only that, it's going to be laughed about. A taunt song. Making a little ditty. Now, again, we're not a political church. It's Idaho. There's a certain degree of conservatism. Some of you have got liberal notions because you're communists. But uh, we're not, we don't tend that way. But we do notice some of you have, whether you're libertarian or conservative, you, you probably in the last two years spent some time running that video over of the reaction to the 2016 election. You know which one I'm talking about. Crying commentators, wailing people in the streets of New York. We are utterly ruined. Leslie had an old friend contact her on Facebook, asked for your friend, so I was looking at her account and her photos, and her daughters had posted a picture from two years ago of a note their mother left for them. This is the woman that wants to be friends with Leslie. And it was this dear note about how strong they were as women because if Trump wins, we're moving to Geneva. Or Santorini, those were the choices. I said, I'd watch out for this one, Leslie. She's not going to see eye to eye with us. But we like, we like to see what error, and I'm, I'm sure if you're in a liberal a, a, a group of friends, they love to see it when some comeuppance is come to by some conservative pastor or political leader. But I want you to note that says the wicked, the man devises wickedness and the Lord devises the evil against them. Some of the problems we have is because we think we ought to be devising the judgment and the righteousness that will take them out. And when we do so, we lower their, their you might say, if they're taking sight on what they're going to oppose, what they're going to go after, not just in their wickedness and taking your stuff, but in uh, doing... Uh, Attacking the church, 
you see the church under more and more attack. And sometimes it's because we raised it in their sights. We said, it's really the church you're after here because we're really your enemy in this war. We should, not that there isn't a war, not that it isn't their devising wickedness and God is devising an evil against them. Um, we want to make sure that they know they're fighting God, not that they're fighting us. What? But you say, hold it, but that takes out all the fun. Because you know, oh, Graham was showing me something. What was it? Some um, Facebook group, was it? Where's Graham? Um, Graham, was that a Facebook group that had the uh, March Madness brackets for Christian theologians? Who was the greatest Christian of all, I think was the total. Um, that was, was that a Facebook group? Yeah. Okay. We showed it to me, and of course they had the um, theologians, and it had the apologists, and it had the uh, evangelists, and what some other category? Philosophers, I think. We're going to see if C.S. Lewis wins. But he's up against some stiff competition. I mean, it's through, all through the centuries. You ever realize what an amazing lineup of thinkers has stood by the Christian position? The apologetics, you like William Lane Craig, and you like Lewis and you like Ravi Zacharias and you like, you know, Chesterton or whoever it is you like. Because it always seems like it's really easy, really easy, to be an apologist for the faith. And we kind of want to push God aside in the evil he is devising against man so that we can get their comeuppance, you know, we can serve them up, that great word, schadenfreude, just that, it's delectable. You just feel the taste wash across from the side of one side of your tongue to the other when the idiot evil is handed that notice. You know what it's like. We don't want to give that up. We like this war. We can win this war, we think. But it doesn't tell us that we're devising this. That God is devising this. God is taking care of this. Now, obviously, I don't find any fault with one of these apologists taking on the things. That's her job. Or a, a political leader that's a Christian taking the Christian understood position. But mobilizing the church to be the oppositional force to the wickedness of the age, that's not an assumed yes on that. What are we, what are we to be doing if we're not going to be the punishment of the wicked? Do not preach, verse 6, thus they preach. One should not preach of such things. Disgrace will not overtake us. Should this be said, O house of Jacob, is the spirit of the Lord impatient? Are these his doings? Do not my words do good to him who walks uprightly? 
He makes a distinction. He's basically saying the oppositional position is the wicked against God, God against the wicked. There's a different op- uh, a relationship between God and the not wicked. Right? The, the wicked are saying, no, God doesn't say, God is not after us. God's, they would rather have you after them. Because they could take your stuff. They can kill you. And they have killed Christians in the past. It's fine if the church is their enemy. It's a little more dicey when you're preaching that God is their enemy. God is devised of evil. I, 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 can, I can stand back and watch. And I can declare to the man that, that, that God is their judge. And they will face him someday. But what am I doing? What, what's, what, what, what's my participation? Mine is primarily, first off, my, I am being done good by God, by his words. God is something to me. He is not just my commanding officer where his war against the wicked has to have its rank and file infantry troops down on the ground doing things for the kingdom of God. We're supposed to be blessed by it. We're supposed to be changed by it. Any of you who've known me for longer than a few weeks, no, I, I keep repeating the notion that the right views of things are to fix you. The right views of things are not for you to fix the world. The world's in bad shape, and yes, they need those views, but you hold those views so that you will be fixed. So that God will do good to you. He's doing bad to them. You're both targets of God. God is going to work out an evil against the wicked man. And God is going to work out a good to the good man. Who walks uprightly. Now. That's sort of general, sort of not really detailed. Uh, I was looking at the next verse, verse 8. But you rise up against my people as an enemy. Still speaking of the wicked here. Rising up against the good man. And so often since they rise up against us and want to put our kids in public schools and teach them all about transsexuals and stuff. And so you just feel that just almost in an enraged call to battle. That's your other option. That's your other task in life. You're supposed to be learning from God. God is supposed to be teaching you things about him and his cosmos, which you are benefited by. And the other option you have, one of the other options, is you're the victim. You're their enemy. You're the wicked man's enemy. You strip the robe from the peaceful. So that would mean, if God has made you peaceful, you're now a target for the wicked, right? Because they're, they're preying on the peaceful. From those who pass by trustingly with no thought of war. People who are not at odds with them. See that story from Mall of America this few days ago? Some criminal element guy walking through the mall, grabbed a five-year-old kid and threw him over the edge of a balcony. Three floors. I think he survived. I think he's in critical condition. but I don't know what the situation is, but they caught the guy. But still out-of-towners, they hadn't done anything to this guy, it was just a five-year-old kid. 
We want to go to war actually with those who do that. Well, you know, God has given us the state to pour out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. He has not given you. He has not given the church the sword to pour out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. So we have to need, need to know what we're about. And sometimes because we don't know what we're about, we pick something to be about called war with the evil society. And we re- fail to realize that we haven't been made good ourselves. God's task in you is to, be do- to have good done to us by God's word. To be made peaceful. To live trustingly without thought of war. The women of my people, you drive out from their pleasant houses. From their young children, you take away my glory forever. We were just reading Lewis's essay on membership this last tub. Oh, I forgot to announce that. Um, this Wednesday, Pipe Night, Living, uh, Learning in Wartime is the essay. We had a big group last Wednesday, so about 20. Um, it's a good essay, so um, enjoy. But this last week was on membership, and I have a quote here from membership, which I've put some ellipses in just to keep it short enough to have on the page. Lewis says, The secular community has no higher end than to facilitate and safeguard the family and friendship and solitude. As long as we are thinking only of natural values, we must say that the sun looks down on nothing half so good as a household laughing together over a meal, two friends talking over a pint of beer, or a man alone reading a book that interests him. And that all economics, politics, laws, armies, institutions, save insofar as they prolong and multiply such scenes, are merely plowing the sand and sowing the ocean, a meaningless vanity and a vexation of spirit. What's being listed here in Micah is what God has given in this fallen world by his teaching to those who believe him. He gives them peace. He gives a living peaceably with outsiders. Living in such a way that family, their pleasant houses, their pleasant houses are made by God's wisdom. Their children, their circumstance, and all of society, all the laws of society that reflect the law of God to some degree, are to create a peace inside which, even in the secular mind, the peace of the home. And the rejoicing in that peace is what is central to any, any society at all. That's what we've been given to do. And we've been given the God of the cosmos to do it by. God who designed everything, made family, made friends. There is uh, an element of thought that I would like you to give. It's not that again. Apologists are great. People who walk down streets in big cities with a sign that says, turn or burn. Um, Fine. It's great. We know that you post the Ten Commandments places, people get all worked up. But 
primarily, what is the Christian society here to do? Are we to fight a war against the state of the age when we haven't been made righteous ourselves yet? Look at all that God has been telling the church for millennia. And how many Christians do you know who have faithfully done it? And we're supposed to mount an offensive against the wickedness of the world because whatever the sin of the age is, gambling or drunkenness or you know, sexual immorality or whatever it is. Have, are we all done? Are we all done knowing what the Word of God says about everything that would improve your life to make your time with your children, your wife, a pleasant existence in the wisdom of God. Have you done everything? You taken care of that? Never any circumstance that you would adjust? Oh yeah, they're, they're coming after you. Yeah, the wicked do come after you. But we've been given the way to deal with that. Our, our Lord, they came after him. The apostles, they came after them. What have the, the better you get, the more they'll come after you. But you, if they don't come after you, if they leave you alone, you'll be enjoying what the will of God is in you. You know that God is going to judge the wicked. That's the nature of a moral universe. In verse 10, even if it gets to the point where you can't have that peace, arise and go, for this is no place to rest because of uncleanness that destroys with a grievous destruction. So sometimes, yeah, move to Canada. It's so bad. Oh, maybe not Canada. I was talking to my nephew-in-law, Caleb, and he's a regular report full of uh, the errors of the Canadian government. So maybe, I don't know, all the nice places are sort of socialist, so. I would suggest, where would I suggest? Scotland. Verse 11. If a man should go about and utter wind and lies, saying, I will preach to you of wine and strong drink, he would be the preacher for this people. That's one of my favorite, I love that verse. I love that verse. It's so, it's so refreshingly, yeah, that's exactly what happens in every age. Pastors that come along, prophets that come along, who preach directly to the lusts of the people, They become popular preachers, prophets. Now, here's the warning. There's going to be pastors, probably from California, who suggest you pursue your icky lusts, whether it's sex or drink, or now you've got cities that allow smoking dope. Well, that's okay, Christian smoke. Nope. You bet. And we see that deterioration. And so we fall for a pastor who tells us to pursue the pride of life in our war with the other culture. 
We're just responding to a human urge to spread our will. Are you just not content without your will being pressed into other people's faces where they have to live like your church says or you say? Where you have to win in the opinion debate? Are you unable to lose like our Christ lost in the pit? They They killed him. We can't answer the prophets of our lusts by following prophets of our other lusts. We want to be, you know, as you know, I'm, I'm a conservative. I'm so conservative, I'm a monarchist. Um, I like war, just to call me old-fashioned. Um, what else do I? So I'm, I'm not. I'm not being moved here by some sort of hippie revelation I had uh, come back to me. It wouldn't be great if we were all peace and love. Because I think this is this is a war. But God's going to fight this aspect of it. He's going to bring it home. He bring, he's going to bring home first. Well, it tells you in Romans, brethren, never avenge yourselves. It's God's job. And how has he decided to avenge himself? With the powers of the state. He has given them the sword to execute his wrath on the wrongdoer. And that's not just your state finding a criminal and punishing him. That's another state invading your country because you were wicked. It's being taken care of. Obey your God. Learn what the peace and pleasant life it is to be in Christ and walking in it so that you can minister peace in your community to yourself and to others. If we get told how Americans will do things, we like being Americans. And when an American says, and I I know you might differ with me here, anybody pushes me, I'm going to push back. (laughs) And I don't remember that quote from Jesus. I'm going to paste it one because I'm an American. Jesus is saying, do not resist an evil man. He strikes you on the one cheek, turning him again the other. Now, I don't know where that applies in your life, but I'm sure you want to apply it somewhere because Jesus, you know, Jesus. But it certainly isn't American, and Americans always have trouble with it. And they're always trying to find all the places where they're not going to do what Jesus said because they're Americans. Don't tell me that a church teaching or a whatever that doesn't appeal to that isn't appealing as much to your lusts as the guy who says beer and strong drink. Free drinks. Free fistfights. You get to hit your enemy. You get to go after them. You get to march under the banner of Schudenfreude. Not under the banner of Jesus Christ. Verse 12 I will surely gather all of you, O Jacob. I will gather the remnant of Israel. I will set them together like sheep in a fold, like a flock in its pasture, a noisy multitude of men. He who opens the breach will go up before them. They will break through and pass the gate going out by it. Their king will pass on before them, the Lord at their head. Now in your mind you're thinking everything from the Lord's Uh, The Good Shepherd, uh, you know, it's in John 10, 
or um, uh, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Psalm 23. I have parts of John 10 here on the side, and I want you to listen to it. When he brought out all his own, speaking of the good shepherd, he goes before them and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. That's one of the most well-placed descriptions of not getting at him in a verse about getting it. The people who know me, hear me, follow me. Remember what it said back in verse 7 at the end. Do not, do not my words do good to him who walks uprightly? Do you have a hunger to be taught by the wisdom of God in your own pursuit of the scriptures or your own pursuit of of uh, the teaching of the word, from that your life might be made more peaceful, more benefited. We're, we're, we're a noisy, what did it describe it says? A noisy multitude of men in this pasture who are the right and righteous people waiting to be led out by their Lord, by their King. He is... Verse 11 in John 10, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hireling and not a shepherd, whose own sheep that are not, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. The wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hireling and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. As the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. Now this is what we're facing for our task in this world. The wicked are becoming wicked, they're devising wickedness on their beds, and they're coming and taking away your stuff, and you naturally want to build a system and a society that gives them a paste in the nose. Make laws, reasonable righteous laws, by which they must be constrained. God is trying to do something, he's, he's about that, he's, a, he's taking care of that, he's going to be doing something about that. You need to first, at least first, until the Lord calls you to this by bringing you into a position of power. Until the Lord calls you to it, it is not the work of the church. Your work is to have God's will done in you. Rejoicing about it, eager to be led by your king, hearing his voice, not being caught up in pretend religion that, that manifests itself you might say with Christian institutions doing all the things Americans want to do. Just because we don't preach beer and strong drink doesn't mean we don't preach the pride of life. We should be considering whether or not when the Lord speaks do we hear him, have you been changed adequately by your Lord? He's trying to make that pleasant house and life available in you. Let's thank God. Dear Lord, we're grateful. Bring peace to that child. And thank you very much for your prophet Micah. Say hi to him for us. In your son's name, amen.